And good evening, everybody. Welcome into the Phantom Football Podcast. I am Ben Parker, joined again by Simon Short and Ronan Summers. Another excellent week of NFL football, week three. I think there were nine or maybe ten games that came down to one possession. Uh, tons of fantastic football, a couple of blowouts, but wow, almost every game had something interesting. Simon, how are you doing tonight, man? Doing good, Ben. Man, what a night. We just wrapped up uh, Monday Night Football and you know, for, for what it was, still good football, man. It's just good to have it back on TV. All we want is close games, right? I mean, that we're really not exactly. asking too much, and we're exactly. getting it. <laughs> exactly. Roll it. Anything jump out at you before we dive into everything this week? I mean, it was a, what a fun week, right? Absolutely. How about the uh, the punters this week? I feel like they stood out a little bit. Yeah? Oh, yeah, baby. Oh, yeah, baby. some special teams in there. I know you guys we, like the offensive we, line talk. We got some punts. We got some, we got some jammers doing some stuff. We got some gunners feeling some balls. It's, it's a good time. And we're going to talk about all of it. Let's start off with a little bit of news, though. Um, I'm going to give you all two things and ask you all which is the bigger. Uh, we just heard announced Rihanna's going to perform at the Super Bowl. And also, there's going to be no more Pro Bowl. Ronan, which is the bigger news to you, man? I would say, you know, as much as I love Rihanna, uh, I'd have to go with the Pro Bowl. You know, that's kind of a a tradition that's going to be put to bed this year. Is does it start this year? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I this has been something that's kind of been in the works for a while now. Uh, people have been calling for it for a couple of years after some pretty slow you know, kind of two-hand touch like football uh, for the Pro Bowl, and rightfully so. I mean, no one wants to get injured, you know, uh, during the Pro Bowl after the season. So I think it benefits the players. I think, uh, you know, the fans, we're going to be able to enjoy it for longer. You know, it's going to be kind of stretched out. So it's something to look forward to. Simon, I'll kick it over to you. Rihanna on the Pro Bowl, what's the bigger news here? I got I got to go, Rihanna, man. I mean, come on. The Super Bowl is so much better when the halftime show is actually good. It takes away from the game so much when it's bad. It's kind of it, it's kind of like a, a good left tackle, right? You, you know when it's you know when it's bad and it really hurts you in a lot of ways. But when it's good, you're just solid and you keep kind of moving on. So uh, yeah, it's it's definitely Rihanna. She's gonna knock out of the park. I'm really excited. Big news on both fronts. We'll talk more about that in the weeks to come on both things. I'm sure. Uh, moving on to the injuries, there, there's injuries going to be every week, some of them season ending, some of them just kind of those nagging type of injuries that just kind of linger for weeks. The first one, Rashawn Slater, I think is the biggest news coming out of this week, left tackle for the Chargers. Um, he's got a season ending biceps injury, and uh, it's not the kind of injury we're used to here with offensive linemen, but it's the one that got him. He's out for the season. This is huge, Simon. I'll kick it over to you, to you in just a second, but we talked about this all offseason. The Chargers, we even criticized them for not having much depth. Basically, they had four guys that we liked, and then after that, nothing. Now, that's not that's not uh, five starters plus four guys. That's four guys, period, right? And and their best their best player probably is the left tackle, who's one of the best uh, guys in the NFL, left tackle Rashawn Slater. He's out now. They've already got some other things going on here. There were already questions about the Chargers and their ability to perform at a high level in the first place. Simon, talk to me about how big this could actually be for, San, uh, for not San Diego, for Los Angeles. I mean, this could be huge because uh, Storm Norton lost the right tackle job to Trey Pipkins. Storm Norton was the guy we had been talking about as the weak link all summer. He loses that job, and now he's going to have to step in and be the left tackle. 
for, by the way, Justin Herbert, who has a fractured rib cartilage, and it really showed this past weekend. So um, major downgrade coming at, at the left side, and uh, Herbert does not look like he's going to be healing up anytime soon. It is one of those things, and I hate to beat a dead horse. We saw this with the Chiefs last year. When you have one tackle that's struggling, you can get by. You can scheme for it. You can roll away from it. You can do all kinds of things. When both tackles are struggling in edge rushing capability, and that's what the Chargers are about to be up against, it can really cripple your offense or at least slow it down. If not cripple it, you start to see the, the deep passing game start to suffer because they just don't have time to get the ball downfield. The Chargers are going to be facing that. Ronan, I'm going to stay with you here on the Chargers. Joey Bosa week-to-week with the groin injury. You know, they've already had Herbert with the week-to-week on the ribs, now Bosa week-to-week on the groin. Um, what's the impact here for the Chargers early in the season, Ronan? Well, I mean, Chargers head coach Brandon Staley defined the uh, injury as significant, right? So that's that's not a great sign. Uh, luckily for the Chargers, they do have Khalil Mack on the opposing side of Bosa. So it's not like they're going to be completely without uh, pressure. Uh, that rotation is going to have to step up big time. You know, Trevor Lawrence was able to shred up that defense with, you know, maybe not the best. I don't know where uh, the Jags are on your guys' offensive line rankings, but I would assume it's not top 10. So you're going to have to get after the quarterback. It's going to probably be without Joey Bosa at least for, I would assume, a week. Uh, Yeah. I don't necessarily know if it's going to make or break – this upcoming week, but it's definitely going to be a loss if he's out. Two and one, I think, beginning for the Chargers, but the next few weeks I think are going to be rough for them. We'll see if they can at least tread water, maybe get hot in the second half of the season. Uh, Ronnie, you brought it up. I'm going to ask Simon about it. Uh, the quarterback, Trevor Lawrence, for the Jaguars, uh, he's not exactly setting the league on fire, but he's certainly looking a lot more this year like everybody kind of expected him to look in his rookie season last year, correct? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he is getting better each and every single week. I mean, you look at whether you're looking at the raw stats or you're looking at what he's doing in the games. Um, there's just so much less chaos around him off the field that it's really translating to on the field. He has so much better weapons. The offensive line is in much better shape with Brandon Sheriff kind of there leading the way. Um, and everything's just starting to click. And it's week three, and he's already kind of catapulted himself into – okay, we young guy with potential to no legitimately good starter. I mean, by week nine or 10, this guy could be one of the, you know, premier kind of quarterbacks in the league, I think. Moving on injury-wise, Trent Williams, all-world left tackle, Hall of Fame left tackle for the 49ers. He's going to be out multiple weeks now with a high ankle sprain. We'll talk about more of this game in, the, in a minute. But Simon, I'm going to ask you right now, the 49ers offensive line already had question marks heading into the season. And now you take away Trent Williams. They didn't look good. The offensive line did not look good last night uh, against Denver. How much worse now for the 49ers without Williams for the next couple of weeks? Uh, yeah, it's pretty bad, man. I mean, they, they had to try two different left tackles in last night's game. Uh, Jalen Moore, fifth-round pick from the 2021 draft, and they gave them a couple tries. That didn't work out. They went to Colton Kivitz, who was a fifth-round pick the year before. Um, this was already a team, like you said, that was doing new things on the offensive line. Alex Mack retired in the offseason. Lakin Tomlinson signed with the Jets. Daniel Brunskill is just coming back from an injury. So they've already been having uh, all new starters on the interior. Now they're going to have to try and figure out this left tackle spot. 
it's not great because as we'll talk about, Jimmy Garoppolo did not look too comfortable uh, in that game against the Broncos. So um, they're, they're in a tough spot. We'll see what happens. Simon, I'm going to come back to you in a second with Cook, Swift, and Alexander. Just ask you which is the biggest one there. But Ronan Fernell, Matt Jones, uh, Patriots quarterback, week to week. You know, he's not a, an exactly mobile guy in the first place, right? So um, if he has trouble setting his base and throwing, what does that look like for the Patriots over the next week or two? You know, they kept saying day to day or day by day. I think uh, it was said maybe nine times I read uh, in a press conference. So, I mean, that's the typical Patriots answer. But I, I believe doctors have said that this is an injury that many would go under the knife for, uh, for surgery. So that's not looking great. It looks like he's probably going to be out for a couple of weeks. Uh, I believe, is Bailey Zappi going to be the, the one stepping up for him? Could be him or Hoyer. I don't think we've gotten any official word yet. I, I would expect Hoyer, though. Yeah, and uh, high ankle sprain, this is something that he's probably going to be dealing with all season. Uh, I doubt he gets back to 100% by the time this season's over. Patriots are just struggling. They're, they're at one and two. They haven't looked the greatest. Are just struggling to score a little bit of points as well. Uh, we'll see what that does for them moving forward. Simon, I'm going to come back to you with this. Uh, Dalvin Cook running back for the Vikings day-to-day with the shoulder. DeAndre Swift with the Lions week-to-week with the shoulder. And Jair Alexander a growing injury for the Packers. Which one really stands out to you out of those three? Well, we're still unclear on Jair Alexander and how long that's exactly going to be. I haven't really seen, but groin injuries, soft tissue injuries, all that is tough. That could be a few weeks. Uh, so I'm going to say if it's any extended period of time, it's definitely him. Uh, fantasy managers out there are very familiar with the term handcuff and Dalvin Cook and DeAndre Swift. Luckily, I have two of the best out there and uh, Alexander Madison and Jamal Williams. So um, those guys are fully capable in their offenses to kind of carry the load and keep doing what uh, the team needs done at the running back position. Uh, nobody in Green Bay, nobody really other than one or two guys in the NFL can do what Jair Alexander can do for Green Bay, who is really leaning on their defense so far this season. So if he's out even more than one week, I would say he's the biggest impact player that'll be missing. All the teams this year, it- really have looked very even. It's amazing how many of these matchups have looked very even. It's amazing how many 2-0 and o teams could have started off 0-2 and, and vice versa. These injuries really start to kick in here and take a toll, um, and we're starting to see that here early in the season. Monday Night Football just ended a little while ago. The Cowboys win 20-13. to uh, Simon, walk us through this game a little bit. Tell me what you saw. Yeah, I mean, I said it early, but not a bad game considering who the quarterbacks were. I mean, Cooper Rush and Daniel Jones, you kind of expected – to see what we saw Sunday night uh, occur. But we actually had a little bit of offense. The running games were looking pretty good. Um, But, man, that second half was just really a story of Dallas getting after it uh, in the pass rush. I think they ended up with 23 pressures on Daniel Jones, which was, believe it or not, his career high, uh, which you wouldn't expect considering the career he's had thus far. Uh, But it really showed in the stats. I mean, uh, in uh, for the game, zero sacks and two quarterback hits for the Giants so they were not getting after Cooper Rush at all five sacks 12 quarterback hits for Dallas in this one um so they were really getting after you could just see the layers and layers of good defensive players that Dallas has whereas New York um they're getting some players back uh for the first time in this one uh Kayvon Thibodeau as well as a couple other pass rushers but they just weren't getting after it 
And considering the struggles Dallas was having on their offensive line, we're talking Jason Peters came in for a, for a drive at left guard. Um, there was a lot of uh, miscommunication, false starts, penalties on the Dallas offensive line early in this one. You would have liked to see New York really attack that, and, and they just didn't. And I think that ended up being what decided this game. Simon, I can't resist here. We talked about the Giants' offensive line uh, during the offseason, how it's heading in the right direction. It's going to be improved. I think you like them maybe a year ahead of where I like them. But this Cowboys matchup was a tough matchup for them. I mean, yeah. Mike Comparsons didn't register a sack tonight, but he's the guy creating all the early pressure. And then everybody else just kind of grabs the quarterback as they're running away from Micah Parsons. Lawrence picked up, I think, three of those sacks. So it's not a good matchup for the Giants' offensive line. But hey, how do you think they've looked so far this season? Do you, do you kind of like what they're doing in spite of what went on tonight? Yeah, I mean, there's some positives. Obviously, the running game looks a little bit better. Saquon Barkley has been able to do a few more things than he has in the last exactly. couple of seasons. But yeah, Evan Neal is particularly struggling. And yeah, you were the one that said it's not going to be great right away. Um, and a matchup against Mike Parsons definitely showed that. There was one play. Micah Parsons just completely obliterates the chip from whatever tight end. The tight ends in this game <laughs> for either team could not block. Um, and he completely swims past Neal. And then he just puts Glowinski on his butt. So even Glowinski's had a really nice season so far this year. Um Feliciano has done well going back to center, which he hasn't played since college. So there's some good things going on. I think maybe one more piece or even just Neil having a year of development, similar to Andrew Thomas did on the left side. Um, I think they're on their way. They're, they're not in that even top half of the league yet, I would say, but they're right around the middle, which is really what you need if you're kind of humming uh, with the rest of your offense. Yeah, to, to me, there's a big difference between Daniel Jones or any quarterback running for their life every game versus, okay, I've got a little bit of breathing room. I'm not getting my head chopped off every single play. It's a huge difference. Kicking over to Sunday night football, 49ers versus the Broncos, 11 to 10. I wasn't sure either team was going to break double digits in this game. They finally, finally did at the end. Uh, Ronan, I'm going to start with you here and talk about Russell Wilson. I think we all like Russell Wilson at quarterback, but it has not been a pretty start. We're three games in. I I think we all expected a, a little bit of rough start, but this is, I think, even more than what we expected. What do you expect out of Russell Wilson the rest of the way? How much better do you think it can actually get? You know, I have a hard time uh, gauging this whole Denver Broncos offensive situation. Uh, I'm trying to figure out, and I'll go ahead and ask you guys, whether this is a chemistry thing or if, Daniel Hack or Nathaniel Hackett is just struggling because this isn't this isn't the offense we were expecting. Whenever we heard Nathaniel Hackett as head coach, Russell Wilson at quarterback, or Jerry Judy, Cortland Sutton, I mean Melvin Gordon, Javante Williams. This is not the offense we were expecting. It's a great question, Simon. I'm gonna let you answer it in just a second, but I'll set the table even further. Simon, you mentioned that while the media really seemed to love everything involved here on the Denver offense, you, you weren't quite as crazy about it. So I'll, I'll ask you what Ronan just asked you. Is it just newness or is there more to it kicking in here? I mean, there's a lot going on here. So Russell Wilson, uh, if you went back through, I heard this on one of the Ringer NFL podcasts, but they went through each interview that he gave and everything Nathaniel Hackett said over the offseason about what kind of offense that they wanted to bring here 
And there's like six or seven different offenses he wanted to do. He wanted to run the Rams offense. He also wanted to run a West Coast uh, quick play offense. He wanted to run something where he's getting stuff deep. He wanted to run a hurry up offense where he wasn't getting into the huddle or using uh, the, the play clock. That's a lot of stuff to do. And that's a lot of stuff to do for an offense that's been pretty bland over the years. Um a lot of young guys at receiver who haven't really been led by a, a high-level quarterback in their time so far, which was my particular concern. You know, these guys are still unproven. We see a lot of potential, but what is it going to mean? And for an offensive line that a lot of people thought was going to be taking a big jump this year with Wilson, but uh, I see all the same struggles that they've had over the last couple of years. So there's a lot to bring together, and there's a lot to figure out what their identity is. Um uh, another shout out for fantasy owners, everyone that wants Javonta Williams in the game, Melvin Gordon is getting still like half the carries and reps. He, he's put the ball on the ground a lot. They're not really taking care of the, or they're not really taking advantage of every opportunity they have. And I think that is mainly a chemistry issue. I never thought that this was going to be a bad team or a bad offense. They're still two and one on the season. So I think they're going to continue to kind of figure it out and get a little bit better how much better and what is their real ceiling, especially for this year, that I'm not so sure of. Wild card divisional round might be kind of where they tap out. I don't think they're all of a sudden going to be this offense that competes with the the Kansas cities and the Baltimore's and the Buffalo's of the AFC. On the bright side, <laughs> there were a lot of good punts in this game. Simon, you brought this out, Ron, and you mentioned it earlier in the podcast. In the podcast. Simon, talk to us about what uh, what some of the great, punt features of this game were <laughs> this is all this is all i could come up with this is it uh, from the from the a part first half of the game that i was able to watch uh, by the way i'll sneak this in i gave it my sandman award because i actually was falling asleep at halftime which i tend to do in these primetime games but normally i rally i get up and i get you know a glass of water i'm good i went to bed i was like forget it i know what's gonna happen here i checked the score at 2 a.m i was very happy with my decision um, Mitch Wisnowski, uh, he had a long of 74 with three punts inside the 20 on seven punts total, 52 yard average. My guy Corliss Waitman from the Broncos, uh, former Steeler uh, spot punter, long of 57, six punts inside the 20, 10 punts total, wow. average of almost 48 yards per punt. Um, the punt units were doing a fantastic job tracking these balls and, and kind of keeping it within not only inside the 20, but a lot of those inside the 20 numbers I gave were inside the 10, five and two yard line. So uh, great special teams work. Way to go guys. That And that's the best thing I could say about this Sunday night game. And congratulations to both teams for winning the sound medal. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. It's a great honor. I'll close with this on a quick note on this game. I don't always agree with everything announcers say, of course, who does, but I thought Chris Collinsworth made an interesting point late in the game. Uh, Russell Wilson always looks a lot better when he's moving outside the pocket, not every play, but when they are purposely move, rolling him out both, both directions and allowing him to be a playmaker, whether he runs the ball or not, just allowing him to move out of the pocket seems to put a little bit of fear into the defense. It, the, the different angles, Wilson isn't the tallest guy in the world, moving him around just seems to kind of get him, get him loosened up. And then he can kind of settle into the pocket and start deep bombing away because he's got the arm, of course. So maybe we'll see more of that as the season goes along from Russ, from uh, from Russell Wilson. Thursday night football. Uh, we're reaching back several days here, of course, as always. Simon, your beloved Steelers, uh, you know, not great. It, it wasn't awful until the second half, I think, but uh, not a great game. Go ahead and give us uh, the lowdown on, on the early part of this. 
Yeah, that it was a gross one, man. This would have been another one that I would have gone to sleep during if it wasn't, you know, yeah, for the fact that this was the Steelers. Um, this Browns offensive line is so good, man. This was Jack Conklin's first game back, and he just it, it didn't miss a beat. Um, Ethan Posick is starting at center for Nick Harris. Didn't miss a beat. Uh, they these guys can do everything: power running, pulling guards, uh, zone blocking, get out in space, get out to the second level, pass protect. Um, they they just do it all. And and Nick Chubb uh, took advantage. He ran for 113 yards and a touchdown in this one. Uh, he looked really good. And that just opened things up for Jacoby Brissett. He was able to kind of sit back there and and pick and choose where he was going. Amari Cooper uh, was getting whatever he wanted. He left a, a handful of yards uh, on the table as well, going out of bounds on some plays, a couple easy drops. Um, but Cleveland really owned the second half. Pittsburgh had four of their five punts of the game in the last two quarters, and three of them were on three and outs. So they just weren't getting any kind of offensive traction. Uh, Cleveland did a really good job up front, especially in the second half. Uh, it, play comparison, if you just want to go as simple as that, the Browns got 36 plays off in the first half, 35 off in the second half. Pittsburgh got 30 plays off in the first half and only 26 off in the second half. So really just Pittsburgh offensively not able to possess the ball, not able to string together long drives. Uh, they're not able to connect on you know big explosive plays. Therefore, they're going to give the ball away a lot and give the ball up a lot. And um, that that's not what you want to do, especially against a team that can run the ball like Cleveland. Simon, people are starting to beg for, not beg for, but ask for Kenny Pickett to start coming in. Now, I know both you and I, we saw Pickett differently in the offseason, but I, I think you and I would agree we probably don't want to see Pickett yet because I'm not sure that offensive line is really good enough to put him back there. So it, but, but correct me if I'm wrong, Simon, how do you feel about that? Well, I'll give them this. The offensive line so far in the regular season is worlds and worlds better than what they looked like in the preseason. That said, it's still kind of a bottom 10 offensive line. Mitch Trubisky has done well to escape pressure, use his athleticism, use some of that pocket awareness he has. He does bail out of some clean pockets sometimes, but he always does it to move into something. My big concern with Kenny Pickett coming into the season was something he showed he cleaned up in the preseason, but we'll see what it looks like eventually in the regular season, is when he bails from a clean pocket, he goes backwards. And I don't want that trait to continue while this offensive line is still struggling. Um, don't pick up bad habits. This offense, I, listen, Kenny Pickett, like I said, looked a lot better in preseason than I expected. He's not going to fix this offense. This offense is pretty vanilla in terms of the routes run, the play calls. There's no running game. Um, all, all that's going to happen is you're going to hurt Kenny Pickett if you put him in right now. So uh, let Trubisky take the hits, let him take the brunt of the bad offense until they kind of expand it a little bit, which hopefully happens at some point this season. Um, but it, Kenny Pickett's not making this team three and i I'll tell you that. Yeah, I agree. I would love to see Pickett come in toward the end of the season, maybe the last four games. I, I don't really want to see him yet. Ronnie, the Browns are two and one. If the playoffs started today, which of course they don't, but the, if they did, the Browns would be in the playoffs in the crowded AFC with Jacoby Brissett as quarterback. Um, any any chance at all here, Ronan, or is this just a complete fraud? You know, the early kind of weirdness of the way the schedule breaks down, teams playing certain teams. Any chance at all here the Browns get to the playoffs or not? I mean, any chance at all? Yeah, I, I think there is a chance, but I don't think it's a great one. 
uh, there's still a, a pretty steep hill to climb before you get Deshaun Watson back. And even then, whenever you get him, he might not even be the same player that he was two years ago. Honestly, Jacoby Brissett hasn't looked terrible. Uh, I, I don't think he's necessarily been a liability. I was surprised that they passed the ball 31 times. That, that kind of took me by surprise. An, an AFC North matchup, I was kind of expecting just like 75 runs out of them, but they had trust in them. And it worked out. It's time for a new segment called The Barbecue, which stands for Ben's Burning Questions. And I have one question this week. How did the Dolphins win against Buffalo? And by the way, my respect for the Dolphins has done nothing but go up with every week this season. They're 3-0. and They played a pretty tough schedule. But they got, they got out first down to 31-15 by the Bills. They got outpassed by the Bills. They got out rushing yardage by the Bills. It wasn't even close. Total yardage, 497 to 212. Uh, third downs were all completely in the Buffalo Bills' favor. Uh, time of possession, 41 minutes by the Bills to about 19 for the Dolphins. <laughs> Simon? How did Miami pull this off? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So uh, the easy answer is the Dolphins were just very efficient with with their yardage. So, I mean, that's easy to see, right? Whenever you see nearly 500 yards and 19 points versus about 200 yards and 21 points, you could pretty easily come to that that uh, conclusion. But let's let's dig into it a little bit. So here are four of the nine drives that the Bills had this uh, in this one. Their fifth drive of the game, the last of the first half, they gained 45 of their yards, but they got no points. That was when we saw that weird, bad snap, fake spike uh, screen pass to Stephon Diggs that didn't work out. Their next drive, first of the second half, they went 87 yards and only got three points. So they got stopped in the red zone. So that's a lot of yardage for three points. Uh, Their next drive, they went 60 yards for no points. That's when Tyler Bass missed that. I think it was a less than 40-yard field goal. Um, and then the next drive, their final drive, 73 yards, no points. That was the turnovers on down, turnover on downs. If you're in the mood for more football content from Phantom Sports Industries, subscribe to our newest podcast, the Phantom Fantasy Football Podcast, hosted by yours truly, Brandon Tim. Together, we'll take a deep dive into the data of fantasy football to get the weekly dubs and come out on top as our league's champion. We'll see you at the next episode, coming soon. Once again... This is the Phantom Fantasy Football Podcast from Phantom Sports Industries. See you there. Um, other than the drives and the efficiency with the yardage, that that turnover on downs play, that fourth and ten pass or the fourth and goal pass, uh, where Josh just completely dirted that pass over there to the pylon. If you look closely, I encourage everybody to go back and watch that. His left knee buckles. I took note of this kind of in the third quarter when he started getting out and really running the ball. He took a couple hits to that knee. So with 737 in the third quarter, uh, they were on the Miami 33, uh, and it was a second and six, and Josh runs. He gets tackled by two guys, uh, one low, one high. That knee gets buckled. Um, that same knee on the, uh, on the goal line drive, second and goal, he tries to sneak it in. Same thing happens. He gets hit high and low. That same knee gets hit as he goes down. Uh, he just did not have a firm base under him on that one. So that that's a little thing to point to. Uh, again, it's not going to define the game, but when you have a chance to literally get a game-winning touchdown right there, that was a big one. And then the Bills secondary, uh, a lot of guys hurt. Uh, I think Ronan was the one that specifically highlighted how good those safeties are for, for Buffalo, not having them. 
Um, and this one was tough. Adam Schefter tweeted this. Uh, here, are, it was the starting secondary for Buffalo in, in that game. Kyrie Elam, rookie first-round pick. Christian Benford, rookie sixth-round pick. Uh, Damar Hamlin, 2021 sixth-round pick. Jaquan Johnson, 2019 sixth-round pick. They also, on one of those touchdowns that Miami scored, had a practice squad player who had just gotten called up. Um, number 46, I even have to find him on their website. Jamarcus Ingram is a, is a rookie at a Buffalo who was on their practice squad. So a lot of things that kind of went wrong for this team really before the game started. Of course, they were also dealing with the heat of the game, guys literally having to leave the game for medical reasons because of it. But it really came down to they just were not taking advantage of those four drives when they gained all that yardage, gained all those first downs to come away with, you know, three points. And, and that was about half of their yardage in those four drives was really tougher for Buffalo in this one. Good stuff, Simon. There's a lot going on there, especially like the uh, uh, the Josh Allen point. As the season goes on, those silent injuries that really don't get announced, it takes guys from 100% down to 90, 70, maybe even 60% of themselves. And then people start to question, well, what's wrong? Well, a lot of times what's wrong is they have an injury that we just don't know about. Um, top five early season power rankings. We're only three weeks in, but already a lot of these teams don't quite look the way we expected. So, Ronan, I'm going to start with you, your power rankings top five right now. And, and that is for the audience that has nothing to do with what we thought going into the season. It has nothing to do with what we think we know about a team moving forward. It has nothing to do with what we think the Super Bowl outcome will be. Who's looked the best so far in three weeks? Ronan, top five. You want to be? You want me to be dramatic and go five to one? or By all means, yes, please do it. <laughs> all right, so this five spot I really struggled with. Uh, there were a couple of teams that I wanted to put here, but I went ahead and put the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, despite their loss against the Colts, they, they're still the Chiefs. It's still Patrick Mahomes at the helm, and it's still Andy Reid, you know, pulling the strings, even though Eric Bieniemy. Can we talk about that uh, the run to end the first half of that game? What did you guys think of that? Because I – saw them run the football and my just my jaw almost dropped because you have Patrick Mahomes who is like a, a pull a touchdown out of his tail machine and you run the ball to end the half can you guys help me out here with this because I I don't really understand that yeah this isn't the first time we've seen Mahomes and the enemy go head to head and not really like what each other had had to say now at the end of the day, they'll they'll pass push on through it. Honestly, and nobody's saying this. And again, I hate to be a beat a dead horse on this. I think the Chiefs don't want to get don't want to get Mahomes hurt. I think they know that they have a tight clock on a lot of these deep throws. And I think that I think that unless they feel like they have enough time to actually put together a drive, they really don't want Mahomes running around out there uh, and getting chased around by edge rushers who are quick enough to catch him. But uh, Simon, any different take on that? No, I mean, they're, they're up 14-10 at that point. They know they're getting the ball back at the beginning of the second half. I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, they they had just scored a touchdown, but they were kind of going back and forth. And it wasn't – they weren't humming enough to feel like, hey, we, we should really go for this and capitalize in these last 34 seconds starting, you know, at kind of midfield. Um, I, I could see it either way. Of course, I want to say pull the trigger, but I understand that that injury point as well, Ben, when, especially when you're getting the ball. Uh, next. 
Yeah, and, and you know, mid, midfield is a good point, though. That's I, I forgot how close they really were. So yeah. who knows what's really going on there? Uh, but that's my take on it. I, I think that's what the Chiefs are doing. But um, I'm, I'm, I am with you, Ronan. I would like to be more aggressive. I would like to take a shot with one of the best quarterbacks in the game. Um, and, and certainly they ended up losing the game. Uh, Ronan, what's the rest of your t- power five here? Yeah, so at four, I've got the Ravens. Uh, you know, Lamar – he just keeps putting up insane performances. If he keeps this up, it's going to be hard to not give him the MVP award, in my opinion. Uh, at three, this might be a little bit controversial, but I've got the Dolphins. I know they just beat the Bills, but well, let's let's hold back a little bit here because, like Simon just mentioned, they, they got a little bit lucky here on, on some of those drives. Not lucky because they earned it, you know, but that game definitely could have gone a different way. At two, I've got the Bills. Pretty much same conversation. They they led in every just about every statistical category in that game, other than the score. So I, I don't hold the loss too much. It doesn't have too much weight, in my opinion. I've still got the Bills at two. It, they did drop down from one uh, from my mental top five power rankings, so take that as you will. Uh, but then I've got the Philadelphia Eagles at number one. They are humming right now. They, the offense, Jalen Hurts, we'll, we'll get to him in a little bit, but he's looking like he might be the real deal. All right, Simon, give me your top five here so far early in the season. Yeah, I've got the same five as Ronan, just slightly different order. So I have the Ravens at five and the Chiefs at four. Um, I just am a little bit more impressed with what the Chiefs were able to do against their competition so far. Uh, I've got the Bills at three and the Dolphins at two. Uh, listen, when you do in-season power rankings, uh, head-to-head matchups are really, really important. So, so far, the Dolphins 1-0 against the Bills. So that, and they're, the only, they're one of two undefeated teams left, and the Bills are not that. So I have to go with the Dolphins over them, despite the situation, despite what I think it means moving forward. And then, yeah, the Eagles are number one. I think they have the best point differential in the league so far. Um, they're about plus a, a million, I think, plus 36 uh, on the season so far, which is second to a team I think we – or third, actually, to a team that uh, we, we have the Bills in here, the, the Jacksonville Jaguars. I think we're also close to making our lists uh, for this. But uh, the Eagles, out, out of all these teams, other than the Bills, best point differential, best record. Uh, they can get out on you. They can beat you in a lot of ways. So I definitely have them number one as well. As much as we as talking heads, and that is officially what we are now, as much as we would like to be right on our preseason prognostication, and that includes everybody from us to ESPN every, all, over the, all over the country, I think all of us as fans would much rather see a lot of these teams actually surprise us because it's so much more fun that way. And I am rooting for an Eagles-Dolphins Super Bowl. I can't wait to see it happen. I don't think it's going to, but it would be a lot of fun to see that. Uh, let's start handing out some awards. Simon, I'm going to start with you. The funniest referee moment award. Hand it away. It's a, it's a classic referee trope, man. I mean, anytime you can get false start, everyone but the center, it's a great time because <laughs> – the first time you hear it in your life, whether however old you are, you think, man, what are all four of those guys doing? And then you realize the center just forgot when he was supposed to snap the ball. Um, it makes it even better that this was Dolphins Bills, So it means it was Connor Williams. And, and we mentioned early in the offseason, we didn't know how we felt about him playing center. So it's just really funny thinking about him sitting there 
not knowing when to snap the ball. So uh, that that one goes to the Dolphins and that referee and Connor Williams. Great job. Ronan, you already referenced this, but let's go ahead and cover it a little bit deeper here. I didn't want to burn you a minute ago. The quarterback initiation award goes to Jalen Hurts. And there comes a time in some quarterbacks, some quarterbacks, not all, some quarterbacks' careers, where they cross the threshold from, you know, maybe prospect or, you know, potential guy to franchise guy, like cemented. And I think it might be safe to say that Hertz is heading towards arriving, uh, if he hasn't already. He's climbing up the early MVP odd ranks. Uh, he's now, I think, one of the favorites to win the MVP award uh, after putting up 340 passing yards and three touchdowns in that week three win. The dude has looked good. The offense has looked good. I, I'm, I'm starting to think that Jalen Hurts might be a guy. Simon, we already saw flashes of this last week. I'm sorry, last year. He certainly has taken a step forward early on in this season this year. I don't personally believe in giving a quarterback four years to see what he's got. I think we already know by year three. This is year three. We're seeing it, Simon. I mean, so far, so good, right? Absolutely, yeah. I always say year, year two of them as a full-time starter, and that's where Hurts is. And, I mean, I called I called Hurts a dude last week, so uh, I'm, I'm with you, Ronan, 100%. I, I think he's there. That doesn't mean he's ever going to be a top five quarterback in the league. Probably not. But does it mean, hey, this guy can be one of the reasons you go and potentially win a Super Bowl? It, yes, I, I'm fully on board that train. Ronald, let's go ahead and let you have another award here. The Swiss Army Knife Award goes to. Yeah, this one goes to Ben Skoronek. Uh, you guys might remember him dropping multiple passes in the playoffs last year. Yes. Uh, the entire Los Angeles fan base pretty much getting their pitchforks out and heading towards his comment section. But this dude, he, he's turned it around this year. Uh, he Last week, he played wide receiver and fullback, right? So this sixth, I think, three, maybe 200-pound guy is lining up at fullback and knocking people on their asses. I mean, it, shocking. So Zayvon Collins – getting ready to stop the run. He's all lined up. Here comes the running back. Oh, wait, no, here's Ben Skronik. Ben Skronik injured Zayvon Collins and led the team in receiving yards, uh, all on top of having multiple big blocks uh, and crucial runs in the Rams-Cardinals game. So Swiss Army knife, you, you can use them, and I guess any way you want it because he was playing special teams as well for us uh, last year. I, I'm not entirely sure if he was playing it uh, Sunday. I doubt it if he was playing fullback receiver. <laughs> We're seeing more and more of those guys in the league, not less and less of those guys. He's doing a great job of it. My next award, it comes from Simon. It is the Shady Shoals Rest Home Award. Simon, explain. Uh, so fans of SpongeBob might understand this reference. If not, just go ahead and Google <laughs> Shady Shoals Rest Home. Um this, this goes to Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady, man. Mermaid Man and Barnacle Boy, they're just sitting on the couch in the Shady home, Shady Shoals rest home, and, and they're thinking about all the good times they've had. And you know what? They want one more adventure. So they get out there. Not quite the same as it was, but you know what? They're going to have a good time doing it. Uh, Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady, 
neither threw for over 300, even close to 300 yards. I think Rodgers might have had 275. Um, Tom uh, definitely struggled in this one. Each of them got off, I'd, I'd say, one to one and a half good drives where they kind of looked like five years ago then, which, you know, is funny because it's still like a late 30s NFL player where that, that was an elite level. Uh, but they couldn't really pull it off the whole game. Now, of course, we know they're not working with the best skill guys. They're dealing with some injuries on the offensive lines. Um, but it, it definitely was not the matchup that we would have seen from these guys five or six years ago. So uh, they're, I mean, they're doing it, they're kicking and they're, they'll be in the mix when postseason comes around. But for now, this game was a little sad to watch. Short, I'm gonna keep it with you. The LeBron James, not one, not two, not three award goes to. Philadelphia, man, nine sacks on Carson Wentz. I think six of them came in the first quarter. They were just not letting up. And if anybody has any kind of loose affiliation with Philadelphia sports Twitter, uh, you were having a good old time. Go birds. Shout out to Mick. But that, uh, yeah, seeing Carson Wentz just kind of get knocked over in a lot of different ways, too. I mean, uh, he's kind of perfected the art of getting sacked. Uh, and, and Washington, their front, I mean, again, we talked about it, Ben, that, that offensive line especially without Chase Roulier there in the middle. Uh, it, it definitely struggled against the Eagles. And they weren't even blitzing. I think seven of their nine sacks came with just a four-man rush. So uh, really good on Philly, not so good on Washington. Always the key. That changes all the numbers in, in the NFL. Mm -hmm. If you can get pressure or at least a compressed clock with four rushers, instead of bringing number five or six, the whole game changes. It doesn't matter who you're playing. Uh, Ronan, back to you. Uh, you were handing out the Ronan was wrong award. So I'm interested. Ronan, what's up? Yeah, so this award is going to the Jaguars. Now, you guys were a little bit higher on them than I was going into the season. And uh, I was kind of sitting there like, oh, look at these guys. Come on. Falling for it. I thought that they were a lot for a top three pick going into the season. And, you know, now that they've blown two teams out that they were not supposed to they were not supposed to win those games and they blew them out of the water. So, I mean, they just beat a supposed superpower in the AFC by a pretty large margin. And now the question is kind of getting raised. Is this team for real? Simon, I'll let you crow a little bit while me and Ronan eat just a little bit. Cause you were actually a lot higher on them than I was. I thought, okay, maybe five wins this year. They're, they're, they're already doing a lot better than that. Simon, what, what's up? Yeah, I had seven or eight wins for this team. And honestly, I feel like I should have shot my shot even a little bit more. Um, I'm looking at their schedule. They do have Philly next week, so that's going to be tough. But after that, they have games against Houston, Indianapolis, New York Giants, Denver, Vegas before they play Kansas City. So I wasn't on the uh, they could win the AFC South train. Just I thought they were kind of be competing for a wild card spot all the way up to week 16, 17, 18. But the Colts are having a lot more struggles than I expected. And if that continues, this team could be a division winner. And it, it looks for real. Yeah, and I, I give me just a second here. I want to pull up something on ESPN. Uh, there's a number of games. And again, I'm going to pull up week four here, so I apologize. There are a number of games next week. It's always weird, just kind of a bracket feeling to the first three or four weeks of an NFL season in which you have teams who just lost last week, two teams playing each other. One of them is going to come out with a, uh, a, a two-week uh, a two-week losing skid. I think the Buccaneers are in that boat. Uh, there's other teams who 
two and one matchup, somebody's going to come out three and one and bring them talking about how good they are. But really, they just also played another two and one team. It's a weird dynamic that goes on. As you get deeper into the season, you get away from that. But just a heads up, there's several of those games that are kicking around with the NFL this week. Uh, exactly just like that. Let's go back to the awards. Welcome to the league moment. Simon, this is yours. Who gets it? Uh, this week it's Alec Pierce, and this week it's for a good reason. Uh, through two games, his first two games of his career, Alec Pierce had, I think, zero catches on maybe one or two targets in his first game. Obviously, it was out week two. Three catches for 61 yards, and they were tough. He had a contested slant over the middle for 17, a 30-yard jump ball that he had on the outside there over on the right side, and then a clutch 14-yard comeback with, with a minute 15 left in the fourth quarter. So with two career catches under his belt on a game-winning drive, uh, veteran Matt Ryan felt comfortable enough to go his way. The Colts' key to success, their defense is going to fix itself. I think their offensive line is going to get together. Jonathan Taylor is who he is. This team needs wide receivers and pass catchers to help Matt Ryan and the running game. Alec Pierce is going to be a big part of that. If he can build off of this game, uh, he, he's going to have a nice rookie season, but uh, we're glad he joined the party. Welcome in, Alec Pierce. Roland, the I Believe Award goes to? Lamar Jackson, man. The man, he keeps betting on himself, and uh, he's shown how valuable he really is to this Ravens team. I mean, he showed it this week, tossing for four touchdowns and rushing for another one. And he even showed it last week in the loss to Miami, tossing for 300 yards and three touchdowns while rushing for 119 and another touchdown. So, I mean, this dude, he's showing what all he can do. I mean, he's right up there with Hertz in the MVP conversation uh, through three weeks. I don't know how he's going to slow down, maybe an injury. Uh, I mean, he's already not working with the best skill position group. So, I mean, unless maybe a Rashad Bateman or Mark Andrews goes down, I don't know how make or break he, I don't know how reliant he is on his skill position group. So, I mean, if he's doing all of this, basically just, based off of his pure talent, I don't know how you don't pay the man. Ronan, he looks tremendous. He looks a lot more like the 2018 version he than does. the version we've seen the past two or three years. The part I like best, and I heard Booger McFarland on ESPN mention this, and I agreed with it, he's much more efficient passing. He's much more consistent. Um, he's a lot less prone to interceptions early this season. Again, we're only three weeks in, so all of this could change. But he looks a lot more consistent and efficient with his passing game, which was probably the one hole that he had in his game. Um, I've got one award left to give out. It comes from Simon. It is the comebacks or 10-year-old play Madden play calling award. Simon, hit us up with it. First off, before I get into this, do you guys know the movie The Comebacks? I've heard of it. I haven't watched it. Oh, my gosh. 2007, uh, a, a parody movie that, that peak parody uh movie kind of era in 2007 here david kochner is, is is starring you might, might know him from anchorman several other things uh i won't get into it if you have seen the movie the comebacks if you like the movie the comebacks please email us or dm us on twitter at phantom football or at phantom football pod at gmail.com with some of your favorite lines from there it's a movie that still cracks me up to this day i'll go with 10 year old playing madden uh for this play calling award and it goes to the Las Vegas Raiders. My big question after the Raiders versus Titans game was, are the Raiders just bad? Did, did I, you know, we're, I was tooting my horn earlier, but I also said the Raiders were going to be good. They're 0-3. What's wrong with the Raiders? 
I rewatched this Titans Raiders game and it's, it's literally, they're either in a, a very basic, like kind of cover two defense or they're engage eight blitzing everybody. Uh, and then on offense, they're either throwing the ball as deep as they can, or they're turning the ball over. And that's exactly what you do when you're 10 years old playing Madden. You, you throw it deep until you throw an interception and then you don't do anything on offense anymore. On defense, you blitz all the time until you get beat and then you bring everybody back and don't put pressure on the quarterback. And that's exactly what they do. In the Cardinals game last week, they were aggressive on defense in the first half and they sat back in a zone and, and let the Cardinals come back. Uh, and this week, they kind of flipped it. They let um, the Titans get out on a big lead, I think 20 to or 24 to 10, whatever it was in the first half. And then they turned up the pressure. They got after uh, they, they got after on defense in the second half there, got after Ryan Tannehill, and they mounted that comeback. Just wasn't enough. So they just need a little bit better play calling. And that's weird coming from Josh McDaniels. But if you listen to Patriots fans, they've had issues with him over the last couple of years, kind of since he came back. So um, he might need to pass the sticks over for somebody else to, to mount these comebacks to call these plays for him uh, the rest of the way. Simon, what you just said got me thinking about another coaching staff we called out a week or two ago, and that was the Cowboys. We called them out for not running the football enough. We saw tonight they actually did a good job running the football, 30 carries, yeah. 176 yards. Half the load went to Pollard, 13 for 105. The other half went to Elliott, 15 for 73. Both guys had a good night running. It takes pressure off Cooper Rush. It would take pressure off Dak Prescott. It really seems to make the Cowboys offense go. So hats off to the Cowboys for tonight, at least, for following that formula. Now to the most important part of the whole episode, uh, the top five uniforms in the NFL. We brought this up last week when Simon said that the Vikings had the best uniforms in all of the NFL. And while nobody really vehemently disagreed with him, it got us to thinking, what are really the top five NFL <laughs> uniforms? Um, I think each of you have a top five. Is that correct, Roland? You have a top five? Yes, I just constructed it within the past okay. two minutes. So, well, uh, right, well yes. Roland, let, it's hot off the presses then. Give it to us, man. Fresh in the last two minutes. Give me that. All right, we're going to be dramatic here. and We're going to start off at five with the Steelers. <laughs> Traditional, but looks fantastic. Great color okay. scheme. Appreciate that. Absolutely. You're welcome. At number four, I've got the Commanders. I actually really, really enjoyed their jersey reveal. Uh, the burgundy looks really good. The black jerseys with the burgundy helmet? Oh, come on now. I'm, I'm not even a Commanders fan. I might have to get me a Commander Carson jersey. Don't you ever say that again. <laughs> At three, I've got the Miami Dolphins. I think just about any Miami jersey just has to look good. If it doesn't, it's almost sacrilegious. At two, I've got the Vikings. Uh, so I'm not too far uh, away from Simon. And then at one, I've got the Chargers, those powder blues. I love my Rams, love them. Uh, I don't know if they have a top five. I don't even think they have the best jersey in L.A. All right, that's Ronald's top five. Simon? Last week, the Vikings were your number one. I'm curious to see if they stay there or if they move off. But go ahead and give us your top five. Ronan, you lost me a little bit there at the end, man. So for me with the jerseys, it's all about – you. I have to like all of them, right? I have to like the home, the way, the alternate. It can't – one jersey can ruin the whole scheme for me. So uh, I have these in no particular order, but I have the Miami Dolphins on mine. 
Um, I have the Atlanta Falcons on mine. The red and black is something that I love. Uh, I still have the Vikings in here. I have the Saints as well. I love their black and gold. I tried to stay away from the Steelers just because I feel that that's a little bit biased. So, but I do love their, uh, in particular, their, their all black, their color rush. Um, and then I'm going to go, I have a sneaky pick here. If I had to rank these, this would probably be my fifth. I like the Bucks jerseys. I, I like their, I like their helmets. I like the, um, if, if any sneaker heads are out there, the like uh, paint splatter effect that they kind of have on it. Uh, I really enjoy that. If I had to pick a number one, I don't think I would end up going with the Vikings. I think the Saints and the Dolphins are my favorite too. The Dolphins is just classic. I mean, anytime you can get that turquoise or that orange in it actually makes sense. Um, I think it works really, really well. So I would have one of those two probably above the Vikings at three. Awesome. And and I'll say this. I like – there was only one uniform in the NFL I don't like. I generally like them all, especially the, the traditional ones. Uh, didn't like. Um, I, I don't have to like all their uniforms. I'm like Simon, a little bit different there. Um, if I don't – I don't like all white uniforms. Unless you're Penn State uni- University, why are you have all white? You're wasting your color scheme. I, I've never understood that, but that's just me. So anyway, I don't like the all whites, but I like the other the alternates. I, the Dolphins for me are number one. Um, I, again, I, I love that that special green that they have, turquoise, whatever it is. I, I don't know the, the color scheme name, but I love it. Uh, the logo I love as well. I've got the Rams number two, probably especially. Excuse me, <clears throat> hat cat. Um, especially their traditional strong yellow blue. I think that's their best one. They have a couple of schemes that I really like. The, the third one for me is one that neither one of you guys mentioned. That's the Bengals. I really like the stripes and the helmet when it goes along with the black jersey. For me, that's one I really love. The Jaguars is another one that I love. Um, it's a little bit more of a modern jersey than most of the ones that I like, but I like that color scheme. And then the 49ers for me as well. I like the, uh, I like the uh, chrome chrome gold there look for uh for that uh, any teams that uh what's the ugliest uniform uh dare i ask for me it's the i'll go ahead and get while you guys think about yours i'll go give you mine for me it is the tennessee titans um yeah. not the colors mm-hmm. the colors are fine it's the logo the logo just never made sense to me especially with me being such a houston oilers fan i love the old houston oilers uh logo and colors and so when that franchise took off to Tennessee and came up with the logo that I just didn't understand, I think for me it just didn't work, even though I like the color scheme fine. Simon, worst? I think I'm going to go worst individual jersey, and I mentioned it last week. I'm sorry, Ronan. The Rams got some bad jerseys, man, for being out there in L.A. That that cream color jersey doesn't work. And I hate the the sticky sticker kind of thing that they had for for their numbers and letters and, and whatnot it just it, it bugs the crap out of me so i'm sorry also it's officially called aqua for for the miami dolphins color so it's officially aqua. By, by the way simon i don't like the sticky stickers look either or the dirty dirty white yeah, jerseys yeah, but the come on but the that that 90 late 90s gold that they used I and then like their that. traditional blue and yellows were so yeah. good i just had to put them on in the top five so um ronan Who's got the ugliest jersey in the NFL? Honestly, I'm going to have to go with the Falcons. I don't love it. It's just – it's almost too bland. I don't know. It's just not for me. I have to get back in here and look at all of these. <laughs> I want to see their full reveal. I just – I've always liked the black and red. I've always been partial to that. I don't know why. 
All right. Well, everyone, thank you so much for listening to us. We, we really appreciate you being a part of the podcast. I will kick it over to Simon to close us out and tell us everything that you need to know about the podcast and us moving forward. Simon? Yes. So as I mentioned before, make sure you guys follow us on Twitter at Phantom Football, where you can get all of our updates, see our releases, interact with us. We really appreciate it. Also, give the show a follow, a rating, a subscription, whatever you call it. We're on Apple and Spotify, so please do that. Uh, and email us at phantomfootballpod at gmail.com. If you don't have Twitter, if you don't want to slide in the DMs, if you don't want to show up on our timeline, uh, send us an email with any questions that you want us to have on air. We'll shout you out as much as you want. Again, that's at phantomfootballpod at gmail.com. Thank you, everybody. Goodbye.